Before we get started, we just wanted to read a quick disclaimer. First and foremost, this is a comedy slash true crime podcast. We are a few guys who like to laugh and crack jokes. We understand the nature of the topic is very disheartening and grim, but our aim here is to bring to light these real-life situations so you, the listener, can be more aware of your surroundings and hopefully laugh alongside with us. We will not make jokes about the victims or the families impacted by the unfortunate situations, but we will make jokes about the perpetrator or anywhere we see fit. If you don't believe people should be joking about this subject, or if you are expecting a more serious retelling of the event, or if you do not like commentary and banter on the subject, then this is not the podcast for you. Hola! Yo soy Octavio! Can you say Octavio? Octavio! Yay! (laughs) All right, yes, and uh, I am Brian. And I'm Will. Hey, hey, and I'm Will. No, no, no. (laughs) Will is currently on vacation, gambling his life savings away, and doing the hoe down at Darth Brooks concert. Wait, wait, did you you just say Darth Darth Brooks, not Garth Brooks? What did you say? (laughs) I didn't say anything. (laughs) I was wondering what you said. Yeah, Will Will is in Vegas. Will is in Vegas uh, (laughs) doing his thing. So hope he's having fun. We miss you, buddy. Yeah, man. uh, Today it's just me and Brian. <laughs> yeah. Try not to what? Yeah, I was gonna tell uh, Will if uh, you know if he hears this. Yeah, try not to uh, lose too much on those uh, gamblings, man. You, you know, out there in Vegas. So uh, just be careful. All right. Yep. All right. That's it. So today, without Will, we will be talking about Diane Downs. Mm-hmm. So place your bets and join us in these bloodthirsty times. on a small scale what governments do on a large one they are a product of the times and these are bloodthirsty times hey octavio yes what's up hey uh guess what what's up dude i've never had lobster before you've never had lobster before (laughs) no i've never had lobster before uh, do you want to? <laughs> I mean, I guess. I mean, see, here's the thing. Like, when someone asks me, like, why haven't you tried lobster before? It's for the same reason why I only had sushi maybe three months ago for the first time. Um, I, you're not just, adventurous. Uh, what was it? I'm not what? You're not adventurous? Oh, I hate you. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. It's, uh, it's, it's just because, like, if I had an option between uh-huh. something else i would choose something else like so like let's say for instance like hey you want to go eat some lobster or do you want to go have some carne asada it's like yeah i'm gonna oh, go eat well some... that's not fair yeah, cool. well yeah i mean that's <laughs> the thing but those are the choices they're always available so <laughs> right. like all right lobster those cali bees or lobster dude what are you gonna choose yeah of course like cali bees man so of course i haven't had the lobster but from what i've hear it's always been something you know pretty good with the butter and all that but i don't know how what's the texture what's the texture like it's a, a little rubbery but it's not bad if i were to be honest with you though you're not missing much buddy it's mm. it, you want to obviously i want i would like you to try it yeah see for yourself but of course i, I don't think you're missing much dude like you're, you're really not yeah i mean i guess at some point i'll try it but i don't know i'm just gonna like, like you know what whatever i like I like like the big like lobster uh, like uh, big tail pieces. 
but I don't like like lobster rolls or anything like that. Mm. You know? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, but I've like, never had a lobster roll before either. Yeah, try it. Give it a shot. Go wherever you find it. Eat some lobster, but yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't worry too much about it. Stick with those Cali bees and carne asada fries, dude. Mm, yes, yeah, sounds so good. Can't have too many of them though. Um, hey, so I want to do something a little bit different for uh, just kind of like the the precursor up to you know leading up to the episode. Yep. So I'm what okay. What I'm gonna do is I'm going to play you three sounds. Okay. All right. And I want you after each one to tell me what you think it is uh, that you're hearing <laughs> all okay right. <laughs> all right it's it's not i'm telling you right now it is not what you think it is <laughs> so you don't um, know what i'm thinking oh, <laughs> all right all right so um the first thing is uh, i'll tell you where the location is and where uh you know when it took place and then mm -hmm. you just kind of make your own assumptions based off of that okay got it got it let's do it all right so this first sound is uh was recorded in november 6th of 2019 mm -hmm. in texas okay? okay all right tell me what this is All right, what do you think that is? Texas 2019, first of all, creepy as shit. Mm -hmm. Also, is it one of those oil things that go up and down one side or the other, just kind of like creaking? Uh, maybe, maybe. Okay, there's going to be a common theme here. I'll give you the answer at the end. Mm -hmm. Here is sound number two. Uh, this one is coming from somewhere in the UK. Mm -hmm. uh, this one was recorded on January 15th of 2013. Okay. Okay. UK 2013. Yeah. This one is a little bit longer too. So, but okay. you'll be able to hear a lot more. Maybe if we just went a bit further up, I might see something. Maybe it wasn't the second sound <clears throat> well it's not an animal is it <laughs> well if we go a bit further up you go we might see it <laughs> all right and the last one here is from alberta canada in january 21st 2012 okay mm-hmm
and that was the end of the third one. So, so what do you, really, what do you think? really far apart places, almost the same sound. The last two, especially, they sound almost like holy chorus y, you know, like it looked like an amplified chorus of like holy sounds, but mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I'm lost. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of crazy, right? So, obviously, with the, uh, you know, the locations and the geographical regions, they're very far apart from each other. Mm -hmm. yep. um, so, this these sounds that you're hearing um, were a global phenomenon that has been happening since 2011. So people have been reporting these sounds from all over the world. Like they've been Dang. saying, um, hey, I'm hearing these weird ass sounds coming from the sky. You should watch these videos too. They're fucking nuts. So like basically they recorded, um, well, it's fairly uneventful, but it's like they're literally pointing the camera up at the sky and they're hearing these sounds and they don't Dang. know what the fuck it is. That is nuts. Um, That's scary. Yeah. And so like I was uh, I was kind of digging around and what some people are attributing it to is something called hyperacusis. And what that means is basically that there are some individuals that have a higher sensitivity to sound and can hear like uh, a certain frequency that others cannot. And therefore they're like, there's these hums or these trumpet sounds that they're hearing, but they don't know where it's coming from or what, what's making those noises. And it's yeah. driving them insane. Yeah. But just imagine hearing that at like, I don't know, maybe four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> mm. I would rather yeah. not. Yeah, right, right. So yeah, just uh, you know, it was just a, a little bit of an interesting little uh, note there because you know, those sounds are uh, pretty creepy, right? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. Well, mm. uh, let's go ahead and uh, get right back into this yeah. one. Uh, I actually, yeah. I actually very much appreciate that little. Richard can stop. It's about time to get going. But <laughs> oh yeah, Richard brought his uh, his son here today. Richard's son's here. Bring his son okay. to work day today. <laughs> <laughs> Richard's son is here. I, I didn't know there was bringing son to work today, but yeah, <laughs> we can roll with it. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, like I said, I, was, I appreciate that little intro because honestly, is a good, you know, fun little thing before we dive into this terrible fucking story. Mm, yeah, that's, this is uh... um, in, since Will is on vacation. Yeah, uh, today will be story time with Octavio. Yay! And uh, Brian has no idea what's in store for him, so he will be hearing this story for the first time today with all of you. So, hmm. the the story I am telling you today is probably going to be the worst story I have told on this podcast so far. Oh, and that is because it involves young children. Mm, yeah, uh, you know, you know, we don't really like to talk about that, yeah. but uh, this is. Um, I don't. I don't know if it's a necessary story to tell, but it's a cautionary story that. Don't trust anyone, <laughs> kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, generally really speaking. Yeah, it's really messed up. Yeah. So, so strap yourself in and get ready for a story that will infuriate you beyond belief. Oh, and also, I will be ruining a very good song for you guys. And what? it's just a song that I personally love, and I know a lot of you out there probably also love. So, a song by uh, Alsha Parish. Yes. <laughs> Without further ado, let's jump right into it. For today's story, my main source is a book called Small Sacrifices by Anne Rule, along with a few articles on the interwebs and stuff, you know, a little few videos here and there. Oh, sounds but, very ominous. Mm, mm -hmm. It's just just be ready to control your anger as we go on, okay? Oh, okay. It's going to be one of those. All right. Oh, absolutely. Don't, <laughs> okay. don't, punch, don't punch your phone or wherever you're listening to this, okay? okay it's, not, right. it's not your phone's fault. All right. I'm going to throw my phone away. All right. 
All right, so here we go. Yep. On May 19th, 1983, Elizabeth Diane Downs, but she went by Diane, uh, pulled into the Mackenzie Willamette Medical Center in Springfield, Oregon. Diane had been driving her brand new red Nissan Pulsar when she pulled up. And when she pulled up, she had gotten out and was screaming for help. And a nurse named Shelby Day came out to meet her as she stood rigidly next to her car. The first thing Shelby noticed was that as Diane spoke, she wasn't hysterical and she wasn't crying, which was odd considering that she was saying what she was saying was do something. Somebody just shut my kids. But we have said it before. <laughs> Sorry. I just, <laughs> that's the voice I'm going to be going with today. <laughs> that is perfectly okay. <laughs> but we have said it before on the show. Nobody knows how they're going to react under high stress situations and maybe Diane thought being coherent and together would get her baby's help faster. I, I just don't know what her train of thought was. Right. Yeah. When it comes to those sort of things too, like when you're in those, you're, you never really know how someone's going to react in those because it's, it's, it's crazy. It's like, it's, yeah. your adrenaline's pumping. You've never uh, experienced this before. You don't mm -hmm. know what the correct reaction is necessarily. Mm -hmm. You know, there is a typical reaction of, screaming crying losing your shit but that's mm -hmm. not everybody we can't judge yeah, we, one person by the other person exactly it's a blanket statement go for it right so at these two words at uh, these words two nurses reacted quickly and rosie martin and shelby day got to diane's three kids inside the vehicle and saw a little girl with long brown hair lying across the right rear seats they also noticed a little boy with yellow hair behind the driver's seat and as she was attempting to rescue him from the car dr john mackey quickly like he just kind of swooped in quickly uh reached in and scooped the little boy out of the car and just took off as nurse shelby turned to follow dr mackey diane said no get cheryl she hasn't moved at all and when shelby looked she saw that there was a little girl with the dark sweater draped over her on the floorboard of the front passenger seat at first i didn't honestly at first i didn't understand how a child could have been overlooked but uh -huh. then i looked up what a Nissan Pulsar was from 1983. And it's kind of just like a little Fiero, like a little uh, sports car looking thing. Um, like it's got two doors, really tiny, like 1983 typical. Like Oh, gotcha. So it's kind of like a coupe, like it has... Uh... Right. Okay, gotcha. So the two seats, um, like like other tiny cars, and like you, to get to the rear seat, you have to like push the front seat forward. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So when they push the front seat forward, they could see the children in the back, but... Um, like they couldn't see the kid in the front because the seat was kind of covering them also. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So that's how they didn't notice the third they were child like at in, first on the, like they were kind of like covered by the seat in the floorboard. They were like mm -hmm. really low down. Yeah. So like she had not only did she have a sweater draped over her, but like the, to get to the back kid, they had to push the seat forward mm -hmm. uh, to get to them. So like until I looked it up, I was, cause I'm thinking today's cars are a lot bigger than 1983, but this is yeah. a tiny car. If you look up a Nissan Pulsar from the eighties, it is tiny. So, yeah. Huh. So, when all three kids were finally brought inside, Diane, who was super pale at this point, was following closely behind. She just stood there looking from one child to the other, not saying a word, and seemingly getting more pale by the second. Shelby thought Diane was clearly in shock. The nurse thought witnessing her children dying in the hospital wasn't helping anybody, so she asked the receptionist to get her out of the room and Diane quietly left and sat down on a gurney. They began to ask Diane questions. Whose children are they? They're mine. And what are their names? Eight-year-old Christine and 
seven-year-old Cheryl Lynn, and three-year-old Stephen Danny. When asked where the shooting occurred, she couldn't say exactly, but she could probably find it again. At this point, the police were notified, notified of three gunshot wounds to minors, and the receptionist told officers exactly what Diane had told them. She described Diane to police as young, probably in her mid-twenties, and really tan. She wasn't exactly pretty, but she could be described as plain and at certain angles could be good looking. Uh, she had green eyes and pencil-thin eyebrows, and while the receptionist was looking at Diane to get a description uh, to the police, she then noticed that Diane was also bleeding and had a beach towel wrapped around her arm that was covered in blood. Upon inspection, they realized that the makeshift bandage was covering a nasty hole, and they realized that Diane had also been shot. So, okay. I just looked up the Nissan Pulsar, 1983, mm -hmm. and that is a tiny car. Tiny car. Yeah. And uh, having having children sit in the back, that's like directly directly next to the window, the back window there. Yeah, yep. So they could easily see them mm -hmm. and so through like the that, windows. Yeah. And that's like, you could tell, like, to get to the back, so you had to push the seat forward, and then she was already on the floorboard with the sweater over mm -hmm. her. So they just kind of overlooked it because they could clearly see the kids in the back were in, in harm. Wow, yeah, that's insane. But yeah, it's tiny, right? Yeah, super small car. Yeah. So while they were tending to Diane's wounds, they began asking her about details of what happened and how herself and her kids ended up shot. She tells the hospital staff. We went out to see a friend. We were headed back, uh, driving along old Mohawk Road. Uh, my kids were laughing and uh, talking, and I was laughing at something Danny had said. And uh, I was talking to Christy where there was a man in the middle of the road, and I stopped the car and got out. And he wanted me, he wanted my keys, and he just reached through the window and shot my kids. It's a terrible thing to be laughing one minute and have something like this happen to you. I want to call my parents and I need to talk to them. She was allowed to use the phone and as she dialed, she again was blank faced. But as soon as someone answered the phone, she loudly exclaimed, He shot the kids. He shot me too. When Diane's parents arrived at the hospital, her mother was incredibly perplexed and could not wrap her head around what happened as she had seen Diane and the children like a few hours before the shooting. So hmm. she, they left the or she, they left from their house and went, to their friend's house, but like she just saw them. How are they in the hospital shot and dying? You know what I mean? So yeah, she like, couldn't she couldn't get a grip with reality. Yeah. So she tried comforting her daughter and told her, don't worry, things will be fine. However, things were not fine. Mm -hmm. Because by that point, one child, Cheryl, had already been pronounced dead. Oh, and the oldest, Christy, had suffered severe blood loss and needed delicate surgery because she had a stroke. And the youngest, Danny, was somewhat stable, but was most likely going to be paralyzed for the rest of his life. Jesus, man. That's terrible. Yes. At 10.48 p.m., which was eight minutes since the hospital had reported the shooting, Officer Rich Shervano arrived. He was told the same story by Diane that she had told the hospital. She also added, I wasn't going to let him have my new car. I, I just bought it. As he gathered more information, he realized the crime had occurred outside the city limits and had to call the local sheriff. That man's name was Rob Rutherford. And just like everyone else who heard what happened, um, he was horrified to learn that there was a monster in his own area capable of these horrible crimes, like living among them. Uh -huh. So the exact location of the shooting still had to be verified, 
So Sheriff Rutherford drove to the hospital to see if Diane was in stable enough condition to physically show him exactly where this had all gone down. Mm-hmm. Diane had only been given a like a crude bandage at this point, like just kind of makeshift wrap. Yeah, so something the, to just kind of hold it all together. Right, just to stem the bleeding a little bit. So yeah. the sheriff asked the hospital if they could tend to Diane uh, like fully. So, um, so they could take Diane to the crime scene and investigate. And, you know, investigating a crime scene is a time-sensitive thing. You want to get there as soon as possible. So yeah. kind of, he said he understands that Diane's at the hospital with her children. She herself is injured, but she he really needs her to show him exactly what's happened. Mm-hmm. So Diane's dad had also agreed to accompany the sheriff. When word got to the doctors and nurses tending to her own children that Diane was going to be leaving with the sheriff, Nurse Shelby came out and told Diane, one of your girls is really bad. She may not be alive when you come back. Damn, dude. Imagine, imagine that scenario, man. Like, I'm, so, so far you, you've survived through a horrific experience where you're seeing your children being harmed right before you and yourself also being part of that. And then when you're trying to, you know, do anything, everything in your power to, to save them, one of the nurses coming back to you telling them like, Hey, it's not looking very great for your kids. Like imagine that feeling. I mean, I, in my opinion, I don't, it's just my opinion. Again, I'm not there to tell them or mm-hmm. feel what they're feeling. I don't think she should have left. Like, yes, yeah. the crime scene, the crime scene is important, but you just told me my kid won't be here when I get back. Like I, I'm yeah. not leaving. Yeah. You definitely want to want to be there as much as possible, especially mm-hmm. if you hear stuff like that. That's just, yeah, that's, that's rough, man. Yeah. But as they made their way to the crime scene, so she left. As they made their way to the crime scene, they noticed that Diane's red Nissan Pulsar was heavily guarded, and Diane looked at it and said, I hope my car's okay. Does it have any bullet holes in it? But they hadn't looked it over yet, so he didn't know. Okay, and- so hold on. I want That's crazy to me. All right. So, again, we just talked about this. Like, your, your kids are in the hospital one is possibly not going to be surviving. And right now your concern is about bullet holes in the car. Yeah. What the hell? She just bought it, man. Brand new. <laughs> yeah. That makes it, that, that makes it okay. All right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So when they got to old Mohawk road, she nodded at the sheriff, like kind of like, yeah, this is it. So when they narrowed down the location of exactly where the shooting happened, it turned out to be the most isolated spot on this already very isolated road. Hmm. As they pulled up to the spot, Diane suddenly remembered there had been a yellow car that she had described as icky. As they were searching the area, um, other officers had put together one of the most massive criminal investigations in Oregon. Like in up to that point, I think it was like the second or third biggest investigation up to that point in 1983. And so that was now underway. Wow. That's, I mean, that's, three that's kids, insane. Mm-hmm. three kids. You're, I, I would hope they would put max effort, you know, maximum effort. Into that, Absolutely. So. Yeah. That's insane though. So at 11, 15 PM investigators, Doug Welch and Dick Tracy had arrived at the hospital. And no yes, way. yes, his, his he was well aware actually, of his name. Really? His name is Dick. Yes. He, oh, he's wow. heard, all, he, they made it clear. He has heard all the jokes. He's a, he's a detective. He's a dick. His name <laughs> is Dick Tracy. Yeah. He knows That's, he's, he knows dude. So, wow. And has the movie, was the movie already out by this time? 
Because there's a movie called Tracy. Yeah, that's from like the 40s or 50s. That's like some noir stuff, isn't it? Right, but there's also another like a remake with Al Pacino in it, and I'm not sure if that came out in the 90s or in the 80s, but yeah, Mm. very, very good movie. It's called Dick Tracy. Oh, okay. Well, anyways, yeah, that's... I never, I just never heard of that. <laughs> yeah, I never no. heard of the Al Pacino movie, Dick Tracy. Yeah, I know, yeah. I know of Dick Tracy, like the comics, like the yellow outfit and stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, search it, man. Like, there's Al Pacino played in, uh, one of the villain henchmen. Is he Serpico? That <laughs> 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 so that's not Serpico. <laughs> so as these two detectives came up, they looked over the little bodies laying before them, and they took their notes of where they had been shot. And he also took their clothes to search for like evidence. Mm-hmm. And when they took off the shirt of, I think, Danny, a 22 caliber bullet that was caught in the fabric um, fell out. So now they had a caliber of pistol to yeah. go for. So huh. one of the main things they noticed was that there was debris and gunpowder on all of the gunshot wounds which meant the shots had been made at pretty much point-blank range. Yeah, they had been really, really close. I mean, it's not yeah. like they fired through the window. Um, and this was just, right up on them. You know, yeah, so that takes a uh, certain kind of person to get that close. We always hear stories about uh, someone that's kind of like, I want to say like detached from the uh, you know the event, so they kind of fire away from mm-hmm. you know the, like where the people are, but... That's right up in there. That's right next to the people. Yeah, that's they they were looking directly at the kids. They had pretty much right next to them yeah. pulled the trigger. It's crazy. So after looking the children over, the detectives turned their attention to Diane, who was now back from the sheriff. Uh little adventure. And they asked her a series of questions, including if she had been drinking or doing drugs. And she said no, which was later confirmed through blood testing. Mm-hmm. They also swabbed her hands to check for any sign that it had, that it had been her that fired the shots at mm-hmm. her own kids. So they were looking for gunshot powder, residue, debris, stuff like that. If yeah. she had shot the gun, it would be on her hands. Right. But the results came back as negative. Okay. And they, they found no trace that the shots had come from her at all. Once hmm. the detectives got what they needed from her, doctors were finally able to attend to Diane's wounds around 1.30 a.m., like fully. Yeah. So... They found that her arm had been broken, but luckily there was no nerve damage, but she still had to stay in the hospital for a few days to recover and would likely need surgery to help strengthen her arm back. Did you hear that? This fucking storm out here just rolled in. Oh, shit. Really? You didn't hear it? There's a thunder. I heard heard it. I heard it through my headphones. I heard like a like a muffle sound. I'm like, oh, man, maybe it's those sounds from Alberta, Canada are coming over there to you, man. Dude, I when I dropped my kids off at the water park, they were. It was bright and sunny, so I don't... That's random. I hope they're okay. <laughs> so it's kind of storming outside right now? Yeah. Wow. What a sudden uh, change. They, my family's at a water park right now, so that's... Cool. <laughs> yeah, you want to be careful, man. <laughs> yeah. Um. So when the detectives asked Diane a few hours later what happened, uh, she like she gave like a slightly different version of that night's events, and mm-hmm. she said... After a brief visit to a friend's house, I had impulsively taken a detour so we could sightsee. Uh, but then I realized my children were asleep, so I turned around and headed towards Springfield with no particular plan. Then I turned on to an old mohawk, and I had gone only a short way where I saw the man standing in the middle of the road, waving his arm for me to stop. I feared there was an accident, so I pulled over. I got out, and I said, what's the problem? He jogged over to me and said, I want your car. I said, you've got to be kidding me. 
and then he shoved me back to the car. Then inexplicably, the man stood outside the driver door and put his hand inside the car. Then I heard loud pops, and then I realized the man was firing a gun at my children. First Christy, and then Danny, and finally Cheryl. What did you do? said Detective Welsh, who was visibly upset by the picture Diane was painting. I pretended to throw my car keys. Uh, that made him angry. I wanted him to think I had thrown the keys into the brush. He was about four or five feet away from me, and he turned in my direction and fired twice, hitting me once. I pushed him and or kicked him, maybe both in the leg. I jumped into the car and I took off for the hospital as fast as I could. Can you describe the man? Uh, he was white, uh, late 20s, about 5 feet 9, uh, about 150, 170 pounds. He had dark hair, shag, wavy cut, and uh, stubble of a beard, maybe one or two days of growth. Uh, Levi's, a uh, Levi jacket, uh, dirty off-color light uh, shirt. Did you see the gun? Uh, no, no, no. Wait, yes, yes, yes. Can, can you describe it? That's, that's difficult. Then the detective goes on to ask if Diane herself had any weapons, and she replied yes, that she had a twenty-two rifle on a shelf at home and an old thirty-eight pistol um, in the trunk of her car, and she had no problem with them going to get them and testing them. Okay, she's so she was cooperative. Yeah, she was very open and mm -hmm. seems like she's very uh you know, just cooperative with the police and everything. Yeah. So well, that's a I mean, that's a start. Yeah. So early the next morning. Uh, the assistant district attorney, Fred Hugie, had overheard Howard Williams, who was an investigator for the DA, say, because, you know, they had heard about three kids getting shot overnight. So it was big news in the office. So everyone yeah. understood what had happened. And so Fred Hugie, the, uh, well, he will end up being the prosecuting attorney in this case. He uh, overheard someone else say, we don't have the reports yet, but. I'm laying odds that mama's bullet wound is going to be right here. And then he proceeds to point to exactly where Diane had in fact been shot. Hmm. So okay. he had, he had accurately guessed this because hmm. he said it won't kill you. And it won't even hurt that much. So hmm. Fred Hughie would end up, like I said, being the prosecuting attorney for this murder case. Yeah. So he made his way downtown walking. Why can I not Every time I say that, <laughs> that's when I just heard that. That was the thunder, right? Yeah, that was the thunder. Background? Okay, I'll yep. go dang. So he's he ended up at the hospital, and the very first time, oh, that was a loud one. Yeah, I'm gonna try to ignore it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> you're good. You're good, man. The very first time he laid eyes on Christy, and Christy laid eyes on him. It seemed that there was a mutual connection, and Fred had made up his mind then and there that these kids were his to protect. He was going to do his damnedest to bring whoever did this to justice. Rightfully so, he, so. In, he immediately knew, like, this is a fucked up situation. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get these kids the justice and care that they need. So, just as a prosecuting attorney, he was like, "I'm, I'm in this. I'm 100 percent till the end. You know, I'm here." Yeah. So, uh, the investigation was well underway, and the car had already been searched for any sign of whoever had done this. And they found no signs of gunpowder by the doors or the windows, and no other damage was done to the car. They did find it was hard to discern blood from the carpet because the red interior was like a deep red. So it was hard to tell what exactly was blood. And, you know, because there was like throw up in the car after the kids got shot, they threw up. So oh, wow. it was hard yeah. to distinguish certain liquids from others. So, yeah. 
they did find a couple bullet casings in the back seat and they determined they were 22 caliber uh the same as the one they found in the shirt yep the most important thing they found was that there was no blood on the driver's seat or even any blood smeared on the steering wheel hmm. 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 so okay so the the people that were doing the uh how do you say just kind of like examining the car they weren't able to find any sort of bullet holes on the outside no no, like no damage to the car outside no none so, so it wasn't her story her story is that they the, the shooter put his hand through the window of the car and mm-hmm. shot their kids her oh kids. gotcha okay so there wouldn't be any damage to the outside of the car there wouldn't be there wouldn't be any all the blood and everything would be contained inside the car because it all happened inside the car oh, gotcha gotcha mm-hmm. so what? what there's no blood no sir not mm. in the driver not on the driver's side no gotcha okay so detectives tracked down people in diane's life to ask if they knew if she had any enemies and they especially wanted to talk to the children's father and diane's ex-husband steven da- steve downs not steven i don't know why i wrote steven steve, steve downs steve downs it's steve downs i guess i autocorrected because i've done it twice um <laughs> so steve downs steve had immediately left arizona to be with his children in oregon after hearing of the shooting when they interviewed Steve, they asked him a bunch of questions, but the main thing they wanted to know is if Diane had any guns of her own. And he said, well, yeah, she has a 22 rifle. Uh, she has a 38 revolver. And, uh, oh, yeah, she has a 22 caliber Ruger pistol. Uh... And I know she can use them because even though she doesn't know a lot about guns, I made sure she knew how to use these guns. Yeah. So cops were like, Hmm. Yeah. You don't say. And right. he was like, well, it was my Piosto, but he, she had <laughs> borrowed it from time to time, but she had given it back. Piostos. Okay. That's crazy, man. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it, was so his, now... it was his pistol. It was his pistol, but she gave it back. Like, yeah. so um, then the cops were like, oh, so it's your gun. You have it. And then Steven says, oh, but I haven't seen that pistol in like six months. So I just assumed she had it again. And the cops were all like, oh, oh dude, uh, this is a roller coaster of emotions right now. Like you're putting me on one way and then I'm over here now. Oh, my God. All so right. then after they sorted that all out, they got a little more personal and asked him about Diane's life after their divorce. And he said, yeah, she has boyfriends and he's well aware of Robert Knickerbocker. Then the cops asked him, well, do you think? Diane would be capable of putting Robert before her own children. And Steve responded, no way. She loves those kids. She'd never put Robert before them. She'd die before she let anything happen to those kids. Hmm. Now, I want to take a moment, Uh just sit right there to hear me explain all about how Steve answered about his ex-wife. Like, he was adamant. No, she wouldn't. She loves those kids. I kind of want to take a moment to go into her history a little bit to explain why he would think that. Okay. Yeah, so, makes sense. yeah. So uh, the dynamic between him and Diane um, is, is crazy. So you see Steve and Diane had known each other and even dated in high school. Yeah. Uh, but after high school, Steve took off to join the military. And when he came back, they reunited because they never really fell out of love and they had agreed to stay faithful to each other all the while he was gone in the military. Mm-hmm. But Diane was less than compliant with that agreement. Mm-hmm. Um, but he came back, and on uh, November 16th, 1973, they had tied the knot 
and Diane saw this as a way out of her shitty childhood home. And so they were off together to start a brand new life. Two years later, oh, oh, sorry. Uh, that's That was supposed to say two weeks later. Two yeah. weeks? Two weeks later, she was over her marriage. Wow. She had already noticed that her marriage to Steve was not the kind of love she was expecting to receive. Like she wanted to be his whole world and, and wanted his life to revolve around her. Mm-hmm. And it only took two weeks to realize that's not what she was going to get from Steve. So she made the decision to grow the type of love she wanted, but not, not by working on herself or her marriage. No, no. I mean, she was literally going to grow it and she got pregante. (laughs) Pregnant. Pregnant. You know, sorry, not to interrupt, but yeah, I definitely heard, um, of these situations too, like, and it's, it's really an unfortunate case, but like, um, it, it always seems to be like whenever things have, are, are tend to be a little bit more rocky when it comes to the relationship between two, a couple people, mm-hmm. um, they think that having a kid will kind of solve those problems or bring them closer. But in fact, it just kind of drives that wedge even deeper. Yeah. Um, but it's like just kind of, there's like, kind of like a, I remember growing up, there's a few families uh, there's like kind of like a terrible joke, like, oh, mm-hmm. you had got pregnant to save the marriage and it didn't work. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's really bad. It's a pretty common situation, I suppose. But two yeah. weeks into it. Yeah, that's that's a, little a little dramatic. That's a big, a a big old red, big old red flag. Yes, sir. So the way she did it, though, would be indicative of the rest of their lives together. Diane had stopped taking her birth control pills, but didn't tell Steve that she had stopped mm. taking her birth control pills. Nine months later, Christy was born. And with her new daughter, she finally found the unwavering love she was looking for. And with this new love, she ended up hating the love that Steve was giving her. It just wasn't good enough. What? So at this point, they were both around 19, and Steve was doing what he could to support his new family. But if you ask Diane, Steve was an abuser and made it known to Diane that he hated her and constantly tried to pawn her off to family. Because of all this, she considered 1975 to be the low points, not only in her marriage, but of her life. And knowing full well that she was not okay, she did what any young bride would do and gave birth to another child. Wow. Okay. Doubling down, are you? Yes. Mm-hmm. The shittiest part about this was that to Diane, this baby was supposed to like bolster her love and like make her feel marriage better like we were just talking about it's supposed to fix things and mm-hmm. uh, you know the love of a child is like nothing else so instead the second child came out screaming and diane thought this wasn't even worth putting up with because she wasn't even cute those were her words that her own baby this, wasn't cute and that it wasn't worth all the screaming so wow. so in in diane's mind having a baby is wonderful because christy came out cute and nice mm-hmm. and you know, the perfect child. And then the second one is, you know, it's, it's a common trope. The second one is more difficult, hmm. you know? So it wasn't worth it to her because she wasn't even cute. Wow. It's just this mindset she has that, and I, I will explain this a little further as we get along the episode, but uh-huh. it, she's just doing this for the wrong reasons, clearly. Right. Yeah. So Steve was not down for having a second kid at all. Not only because he found diane to not be like such a great mother like he had already realized that she wasn't a great mom but money was already tight and so steve went and got a vasectomy 
However, even a vasectomy is not 100% foolproof. And Diane found herself pregnant again. again. <laughs> we'll get it right one of these days, man. <laughs> right. But with a toddler and a screaming baby and a less than happy marriage, Diane could not handle any more on her plate. And it ended up aborting her third pregnancy. Steve redid his vasectomy and this time made damn sure it actually worked this time. Uh Then two years later, she had major guilt about aborting her baby and asked Steve to reverse his vasectomy, but he wasn't down at all. So she, she straight up was like, fine, I'll just find somebody else to knock me up. You won't do it. I'll find somebody who will. Wow. So at the end of 1978, she scouted the dude she worked with and ended up cheating on her husband three times with her coworkers. But she wasn't just fucking just a fuck. No, 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 no. Diane was looking for the perfect specimen to father her child. And the lucky winner of her genetic lottery was 19-year-old Russ Phillips. And she seduced the shits out of this young man. And because she was so baby crazy and just crazy in general, yeah. uh, she knew exactly when she would be ovulate, ovulating, and it only took one hookup for her to be with child. Hmm. One week later, Diane told Steve that she was pregnant. <laughs> but Steve was no dummy. And he knew that child wasn't his because he knew he was still with vasectomy. At the end of 1979, Diane gave birth to a boy, and even though he knew for a fact it was not his, Steve loved the boy all the same. I like Steve. Steve's a good guy. Steve is Steve is there, you know. Mm-hmm. So four months after giving birth, Diane was watching TV and she saw a couple begging anyone to help them conceive a child. And she decided she would be that somebody because even though she wasn't a great mother, she was great at popping out babies. <laughs> this part is wild. Legitimately, this part yeah. is wild. Also, aside from wanting to pop out babies, there was a $10,000 fee involved. So that helped. Okay, so financial incentive. Mm-hmm. So she was going to be a surrogate to somebody else's. Uh... Yeah, correct. It was like one of those like '80s um, Jenny Jones type of thing. You know what I mean? Like, help me get pregnant. We can't do it ourselves. Gotcha. Mm. So, um, so Diane applied the very next day and had started the process soon after. So obviously, not anyone can just be a surrogate. They have to undergo like psyche evals, and they have to have like a, a history of giving birth to healthy children, and have to never had an abortion. And of course she lied a little on her application. No biggie. She still had to pass her psyche valves and we don't have to tell anybody that she is not going to. Huh. So, uh, she was interviewed like she did a psyche valve alongside her husband because they were also, um, looking at how her marriage was, if it was a healthy marriage, whatever. Right. So they were just kind of taking account everything. everything. Right. Yeah. You have to, because this is a big uh-huh. deal. It's, you know, yeah, of course. surrogate for a child or, you know, you know what I mean? So right. they, they did their due diligence. So she was interviewed alongside her husband by two separate psychiatrists. And basically both of them said she was fucked in the head. And yes, that's the legal term. <laughs> uh, sorry, sir. You are, uh, you're fucked. Uh, you're fucked in the head. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. That's all there is to it. So, and then both of them even said, they don't think she's actually capable of handing over the baby when the time comes. They both said this. They huh. both realized that she had several personality disorders and she was not okay. And with these notes from the psychiatrist, Diane was accepted into the program. Well, 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 what? Wait a minute. 
So, yeah. okay, so both of the psychiatrists agreed that one, she's fucked in the head. Two, she's mentally not fit to care for a child. And then they're like, yeah, whatever. We'll just go ahead and let her do that. We'll get her in the program. Yeah, I just don't think they they were just so hard up, I guess, and she was willing to help. I don't know. I don't. I could not tell you what the reasoning was to actually let her participate, but it is what it is. I I don't know. That's insane to me. So while she was going through the process, Steve had finally had enough and wanted Diane to pay him five thousand dollars to buy his portion of the house. So she got money from a coworker that she was fucking, mm-hmm. and she paid Steve. And two weeks later. This coworker and his kids moved in just two weeks after Steve moved out. So he wanted a divorce. And yep. to get the divorce, he's like, you got to pay me $5,000 to leave this yep. house because I paid for it. So buy your way out. We're done. Yep. Whatever. So she got money from a coworker. She was just yeah. fucking. And two, literally two weeks after Steve moved out, he moved in. Yeah. Wasted no time um, at all. No. But it didn't last long because almost immediately the dude noticed that she treated her kids like shit. And eventually she started to treat his kids like shit. So he bounced without his 5K. So he did say, though, that he couldn't exactly figure her out because one minute she was literally calling her kids terrible names and cussing at them. And the next she was reading Bible scriptures to them. And then the second after that, she was an animal in bed. So, like, who is Diane? You know? Yeah, that's so sounds like multiple personality disorders just kind of. Mm or maybe bipolar being manic and then just crazy mood changes. Mm -hmm. Possibly. So finally in September of 1981, she was finally impregnated with a sperm donor and she knew immediately that it had took, and she was in fact pregnant Uh on May 7th, on May 7th, 1982, Diane gave birth to the family's daughter. And surprisingly, she only considered keeping it for like five days. And then she gave it up like she had agreed to. So it only took her five days to <laughs> complete the agreement. But, wow. you know, <laughs> yeah, Just so like for five days, she was a little like mine's precious, precious. So she took her 10K and paid homeboy back, then used the rest <laughs> to take her kids on a vacation. You just had to throw a Lord of the Rings reference. In I, there. <laughs> Will is gone. I had to do it. That was that was improvised, too. Yeah, so it's not in there. I was like, Will, Will's not here. Yeah, so we, we got to throw one in there at least. We, we got you, homeboy. We got yeah, you. We got you. <laughs> so she took her 10K and paid homeboy back, then used the rest to take her kids on a vacation. Three weeks after giving birth, she was back at work and feeling great. So she hooked up with as many coworkers as possible. Two of these dudes were her favorite, though, and they were named Jack Lenta and Robert Knickerbocker. And of these two, she liked Jack more, so she hooked up with him first. Jack quickly found out that Diana was nothing like she was at work and was actually a big old Debbie Downer. Also, Jack was married, and Jack didn't see Diana as someone he would ever leave his wife for. Actually, both Jack and Robert were both married, (laughs) but they both still partook in Diane's wares. I have wares if you have the coin. (laughs) (laughs) So now that Jack was over it, he ended it and she immediately seduced Robert like same day. And somehow Robert managed to genuinely sweep Diane off her feet. And, and the book even mentions like, this is from the book that it's possible that Robert was the only man in Diane's life to ever bring her to orgasm. And this new development in Diane's life was literally life-changing. 
And from there on out, no matter what they did, they are both toxically devoted to each other. So, so, okay. There's so much to digest here. Sure. <laughs> so, all right. The, the place that she's working at was, what, she what works was... at a post office. I never clarified. She works at a post office. Okay. For some in, reason, they, I... at this point, the story, the story's in Arizona right now. Gotcha. Okay. So they live in Arizona and, and so, she works at a post office. And then everyone will, most people at the post office are hooking up with, uh, correct. Ms. Yes. Diane, including mm-hmm. two married men. Yeah. One of which was only able to bring her to orgasm to which she pledged her life to him because correct. Yeah. <laughs> got that good, got that good dick. And then she's like, I'm, this is it. This is this it for is, me. This, I found it. This is the one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so in her diary, Diane wrote about Robert a lot. And in one entry, she talked about how she loved like watching the music videos on MTV. And for those young fans of ours out there, I know it's hard to believe, but back in the day, MTV, which stands for music television, used to play music on our television. Yeah, I was just about to say, like, this is uh, back when they actually played music on the TV. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah man. So in- yeah, in her diary, she writes about this. Like, she loves watching these music videos on MTV, uh-huh. and she loves Robert. And like I said, in her diary, she writes that one song in particular reminded her of the whirlwind affair that, that she had with Robert. And that song is a 1982 classic from the album Rio by the band Duran Duran. Oh, Brian, can you guess what song that is? Oh, man. I don't know the name of it. <laughs> what's it that, but that's it's right the, it's hungry the, like the wolf yeah it's the one that goes do 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 that one yep yeah oh, hungry my. like the wolf oh man yeah so that was her song to um to what's his face to robert that that's how she described her relationship because the lyrics if you look it up is about like kind of like i can't have you but i'm hungry like the wolf and i'm gonna have you type of stuff yeah so that was in her mind i was like that's our song you know like you're married and i want you but i can't have you but i get you you know what i mean so yeah she was just all about mtv in general well thanks octavio now i'm uh never gonna listen to that song the same again (laughs) brian ruined that song for me man brian no i haven't oh Back to current times, though. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. When Diane had gone to visit her children in the hospital, she had been accompanied by Fred Hughie, and he thought the visit was odd. And he couldn't quite place what was off since neither of her children had spoken yet, and it was very likely that was because they physically could not speak yet since they were both so injured. You know, one had a stroke, uh-huh. the other one's paralyzed. It's very likely that either they won't speak or they just literally can't. Mm-hmm. So when Diane entered the room where her daughter was being kept, Fred noted that Christy had a weird look in her eye that the prosecutor couldn't really identify, but the way she looked at her mom stayed with him and he couldn't shake the feeling that something was very off. Mm-hmm. As the investigation continued, the team had been searching for her car uh, through her car and made a new discovery. And the reason it took so long to find this was because this particular bit of evidence could only be seen in the daylight. So when they took it from their investigation garage and pushed it out into the light, Uh um, they looked it over and they discovered blood spatter on the rocker panel of the front passenger door, Uh meaning that this blood came from a shot outside the car and it kind of completely destroyed Diane's versions of events. As Dexter used to say, blood doesn't lie 
Wow, that's uh, okay. Well, I have my suspicions, but this is taking an interesting turn. Mm -hmm. So the next step in the investigation was to get Robert Knickerbocker in an interrogation room. And when he showed up, he had his wife in tow. And the detectives were like, uh, maybe you want to do this alone? And Robert was like, nah, she knows everything. Like, she, she already knows. I told her. And so she's like, we're going to continue with her in the room. The biggest thing that came from this conversation was that he and Diane had a different understanding of what their relationship was. And even when he told Diane they were done, Diane was like, nah. And Robert's like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> We're not done. <laughs> so basically, she was uh, she was the one wearing the pants in the uh, relationship. Yeah, it, yeah. So he, uh, Robert had told Diane that he didn't want kids and was not interested in being anybody's daddy. And when she had her kids with her, he just wouldn't hang out with her because after all, this was just a fling, right? So yeah. there was no need to meet her kids like ever in his eyes. Like yeah. he, it's just not right to him. Mm -hmm. So on September 12th, 1982, Robert's guilt finally caught up with him and he came clean to his wife and he told Diane that he had come clean to his wife. But Diane kind of thought, okay, now that she knows she will kick his ass to the curb, right? Like, so he's, mm -hmm. he can be mine now because she's done with him because he came clean about us. But Robert told Diane instead that, he wasn't going to see her anymore and that he was staying with his wife. Okay. So the next day, Diane had to fly out to be impregnated again because she had applied again and been accepted again as a surrogate. Wow. But, but this time, I don't know where she flew to. It didn't specify, but yeah. she flew somewhere, tried to get pregnant, flew back like the next day. This time it didn't go as smoothly. And she, you know, she felt immediately she was pregnant the first time and she just did not feel that this time. Huh. And, maybe because she was in a dark mood from being dumped by her lover or yeah. what it was. So it just wasn't a good trip. And so when she returned to Arizona, uh, she had expected Robert to be waiting for her at the airport, but instead found her ex-husband, Steve waiting for her. And he was hoping to give their family another chance. But that same exact night, Diane had finally broke and started attacking Steve. And when he finally managed to get Diane back to her own house, she ran inside and she locked herself in the bathroom with the Ruger pistol and said, You don't have to worry about it, Steve. I'll just kill myself. And then Steve heard a single gunshot. So he broke down the bathroom door and found Diane sitting there with the gun pointed at Steve. She told Steve, I can't kill myself, Steve, but I can kill you. But in a moment of hesitation, Steve quickly grabbed the gun from her. And in all of this, all the cops heard was there's a bullet lodged in the floorboard of a bathroom in a trailer somewhere in Arizona. Yep. And they, they could use this bullet to compare to the ones used in the shooting because it's the same gun, right? Yeah. So this whole story, all the cops heard was bullet, Arizona. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Everything else doesn't matter. Yeah. Let's go check out that trailer. But guess what? Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> so they found that trailer. And after four days in the excruciating Arizona heat, they found what they were looking for. Unfortunately, it had been lodged in that trailer about eight months and oh. the elements had eroded it to where a positive match could not be made, but it did bear a striking resemblance. So Dang. it wasn't a positive ID, but it was pretty damn close. Was, you know? Yeah. Dang, man. So how long would it normally take for 
for something like a bullet to be completely eroded. I, mean, I think and- because uh, there, the desert has so much like silicate stuff like that, different uh-huh. types of uh, elements. It and it was lodged underneath the the trailer. It was open, I guess, to the elements, so it oh. eroded faster. So if it had been lying on the carpet of the trailer, it mm-hmm. probably would have been intact. That's what I was gonna say because I the mean, Arizona it, sand has a lot of mm-hmm. elements to it that can erode faster. So okay, yeah, yeah. So it wasn't actually like embedded in the wall or something. It was mm-hmm. like outside somewhere. Well, no, it was like um, that bottom layer of the trailer. Oh, okay, okay, right. So, um, in a second interview with Roberts, he admitted that even after he came clean to his wife and told Diane it was over, they had met back up and continued their affair. And they even got matching rose tattoos. Isn't that oh, cute? Oh, how... And, and guess what? Guess what? The, the rose tattoos were to symbolize how pure their love was. <laughs> so pure. Very, very pure. I cannot think of... So Romeo. Sweet. Get out of here, Romeo and Juliet. This oh, is Robert geez. and Diane, okay? I got butterflies in mm. my stomach. So oh. they had planned to move into an apartment together, but Robert never went through with it. He'd, yeah, he's a smart, smart man. <laughs> he, he did, however, ask his wife for a divorce and he moved into his own apartment, even though his wife had not agreed to the divorce. Like he said, I want a divorce. She said, no. But he like, if I got him out, I'm out. <laughs> so obviously, Diane spent a ton of time at this apartment. And if you're wondering where her three kids were during all this, don't worry. She had the big one watching the little one. Seriously, if she couldn't find a sitter or like couldn't get her parents to watch them, she would just have the six-year-old watch the two-year-old and the seven-year-old watch both of them. It's foolproof. What could go wrong? Right. Yeah. I mean, obviously they they uh, you know they're coherent enough to watch each other. So yeah, they're fine. Yeah, they're fine. Yeah, I can be- go hook up with Robert. That'll be all right. Yeah, no big deal. Yeah. So one night when she was at one of her dick appointments, Diane asked Robert <laughs> who she loved more, her or his wife, and dude was like, "My wife." Duh. And of course, Diane lost her absolute shit. <laughs> so he just bounced and went to his wife's house. Oh, Diane shit. then followed them and went to where they were and banged on their door literally all night. And when they didn't answer, she blew up their phone like constantly, like yeah. literally all night. So after this night, Diane assumed that they were finally done for real. So she put in a request to transfer to where her parents lived in Oregon. So Robert, being the nice, upstanding man that he is, offered for Diane to move in with him for the last two weeks she was going to be in Arizona. Don't ask. Yeah. Before wow. she, yeah, before she left, he cried and was like, no, don't go. And he gave her a gold necklace and said, I want you to wear this so people know you're Robert's woman. And Diane says, okay. <laughs> God damn. This is this is such a crazy like relationship, dude. Like it is toxic one, to the max. Yeah. It's like one second they're like, yeah, this is us. And then they're like, nah, man. And then yeah. And then they're yeah, like, you're All right. Yeah, you ready, ready for the next part of this? Yeah. Yeah. So in April 1983, Diane officially moved to Oregon. And now that Robert didn't have Diane wrapped around his dick for five seconds, he had time to think clearly. And realized, what the fuck am I doing? I love my wife and I don't love Diane. And now Robert was actually done. Uh-huh. And he proved this by paying back Diane the $500 she had left him so he could move to Oregon with her. So he just gave the money right back. Yeah. And she was, so 
One of the last times they spoke, Robert told her he wasn't moving to Oregon and that one of the main reasons was that he just wasn't going to be nobody's daddy. Like he doesn't want kids. I, yeah. I don't, that's not me. I'm not a dad. Mm-hmm. So as Diane cashed the $500, Diane realized they were finally actually done. Like it, it just, she this fun- is it. Yeah. She, yeah. It just hit her like, Oh shit. Mm-hmm. So as they finished the interview, Robert told police that he was scared for his life and more importantly for his wife's life because he fully believed that Diane had shot her children to make way for their love. And actually, to his credit, he fully believes that this would never have happened if it weren't for him thinking with his other head. Which, I don't know, I mean, yeah, I guess, but as we will find out later, this would probably still have happened. I mean, just kind of going off of everything that we know about her so far... Absolutely, man. Like she's fucking batshit crazy, dude. Yeah. Um, but kudos kudos to him for understanding that he had a role in this. You know what yeah, I mean? And he true. still to this day lives with that shit. True. Uh, also, yeah. That's also true. So <laughs> So several months into the investigation, Diana was pretty much over the detectives and began teasing them, telling them, I have something to tell you, but I want to say it privately. And started telling that telling them that she hadn't told them like the real conversation between her and her attacker. And furthermore, she actually knew who had shot her children. Hmm. Obviously, Diane would end up lowering up. So, especially when it came to testify in front of a grand jury, which she kept refusing to do for several months. I wonder why. Eventually, she agreed to take a polygraph with the results. The agreement what the lawyers made was she'd take the polygraph, but the results were to be secret no matter what the outcome mm-hmm. again why why yeah, <laughs> yeah that's very uh very sus she failed the test like miserably <laughs> so be, but because like i said that lawyer agreement it didn't matter yeah guess what doesn't matter <laughs> guess what none of this mattered and <laughs> 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 the public at this point it had been months like the public was crying out for an arrest like you know three kids were shot arrest somebody mm-hmm. you know how it gets So somehow Diane had found out that her children had been removed from the protective custody that they had been placed under. And she was given a hearing to determine the validity of like keeping her kids away from her. Mm -hmm. And when she walked in the courtroom, she immediately noticed that there were TV cameras. And the second she saw them, she turned on some kind of charm that she had hidden away. I don't know what it was. She just in- instinctively played to the cameras like it was her damn job. So hmm. she lost her appeal, but won the court of public opinion. And, and from then on, Diane would no longer contact the police to give them information, like not even to tease them. And literally, literally, anytime she wanted to say something, she was granted a TV interview. And oh. boy, oh boy, did she give interviews. I mean, Google Diane Downs, you'll find so many interviews yeah this sounds but, super but the, familiar the most famous one at, like at one point she agreed to do a reenactment of what happened that night oh and shit. okay this this was set up by the police because they figured if they can get her to reenact what happened it might trigger some emotion maybe she'll remember something that that she didn't quite remember maybe uh-huh. it'll cause her to break and confess you know one way or the other um so they figured that they would play to her love of cameras to 
get more of a, an emotional response out of her. So they've already figured out she loves to be on camera. Mm -hmm. And maybe if we have her reenact the moment her children were fucking shot, yeah. maybe we can get some kind of emotion out of her. Yeah, but get something a little bit more. Mm -hmm. The shit they got is infuriating. Check this out. Police are immediately a little suspicious. So they come up with an idea. We asked Diane, she'd do a, a reenactment for us. We simply wanted to nail down her statements and she was more than happy to do that. Sitting in the car is Elizabeth Diane Downs. She can be seen sitting in the car and she's kind of primping, making sure that her hair looked the way she wanted it. Diane Downs is trying to show the investigators exactly what happens. I'm throwing the keys, okay? I'm throwing the keys. So they can understand and get the forensics right. I'm going to go like that. I got in the car, punched in, put the keys in. I just hit my cat. Started the car and left. The car door shut itself. God. She was giddy. She laughed. She cracked jokes. I mean, she's reenacting the gruesome shootings of her three children. She doesn't seem at all upset. This is worse than me. Okay. She'd hit her cast and made the statement, this is worse than, and she caught herself. So we speculated, of course, what she would have said to finish that sentence. And we always thought, this is worse than when I shot myself. I can guarantee you that performance by Diane Downs made cops stand up at attention and take another look at her story. So that clip was from an ABC special titled My Mother's Sins. Wow. That is terrifying and also infuriating. Just like you said, just you could hear just in her voice that it all seemed kind of like a big like a big game, like a big yeah. joke or a show mm -hmm. to her. Like there was no yep. There was no remorse. There was no uh, urgency or anything. You, you could just tell she was just, she was really having fun with it. She really was, which is, I, I don't know. You're literally reenacting the moments your children were shot, one of them to death. Yeah. And How she's are you laughing? And then when she catches herself, she's like, this hurts more than, okay. Uh, you know, the way she says, okay, it's just like, you almost got me. It's like, you know yeah. what I mean? The way she says, okay, if you listen back, it's just like, this hurts okay. more than, okay. Like you almost okay. got me. Okay. Good job. Okay. Good job. Okay. You almost got me. <laughs> so obviously like the police like, are itching to arrest this woman, but they were holding off until Christy was recovered enough to tell her side of the story. Uh -huh. On that front, Christy would need immense counseling, not only to work through the trauma, but also with help recovering from the strokes she suffered. Little by little, Christy would become more and more comfortable, and it was obvious she remembered a lot about that night, but just could not bring herself to talk about it. Uh -huh. What she did tell them, what, well, I'm sorry? Was Christy, which, um, was Christy the oldest? or Yes, Christy's the oldest, yeah. The oldest, okay, gotcha. Mm -hmm. So what she did tell them was that no one else had been around when the bad thing happened. After a while, the therapist would try to stimulate her memory with sounds and smells because people have a habit of attaching memories to these kinds of things. Mm -hmm. yeah. Christy would never outright say uh, who it was, but they could get her to write the name of who had done this on a piece of paper and then place that piece of paper in an envelope, seal it, then toss it into the fireplace and let it burn. And Christy would stand there next to the fireplace until the whole thing had been burnt up to make sure no one could read what it said 
after she left. So she huh. was really guarded, like really yeah. guarded. But the therapy was working slowly but steadily. It was working. Uh-huh. And to help with the recovery, Christy and Danny were placed in a foster home. And this foster home was located somewhere not many people knew about. So it was not likely that Diane would ever find them. The people who ran this foster home were very patient and kind, and they made sure to take great care of these children who were like newly disabled. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So it was almost kind of, it sounds like a, uh, like a witness protection. For right. Yeah. Kids. The, the, the address and who and where they were, were like governmentally guarded. Yeah. It was just a unknown secret. Like so right. the way Diane didn't know. So eventually the detectives called Diane and asked her to come into the office so they could go over pictures of the possible suspects. But this was just an attempt to get her in a room with the detectives so they could interrogate her. So they just needed her to come in. As soon as they yeah. got in, you know, we're going to, we're going to ask the hardball questions. Yeah. So like I said before, Diane would tease them with information, but she would never meet them to tell them what that information even was. Hmm. Even though Diane's own attorney advised against her going to meet them, she did it anyway, huh. as you know, that attorney works for her. She makes the calls. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. So she's her own woman. So after going through a few photos, because that's what they said, they were going to call you in to go over the photos of the suspects. So after going mm-hmm. through a few photos, the detectives began with the real questions. You're, I'm playing detective. You're playing Diane still. Gotcha. Okay. So you said you remember that shooter that he called you by your name and, and he knew your tattoo? Yep, I recall that he, they said, they had said they would come back and kill me if I told. That's why I've been afraid to tell. Okay, at the time, the person threatened me. I wasn't supposed to say anything because I would be killed. It didn't seem that it was somebody that knew me, but I don't know why, but that's insane too. You're concerned about your kids living or dying, and one of them did die. And you've got so many things running through your mind. Your sense of hope. You're, you're so flipped out about everything. Just seeing everything and everything that you felt that maybe your mind just didn't let you feel that it's your fault, even though it was somebody that hated me that much that did that. And so you block out the fact that it was somebody that you knew. Diane looked up and noticed a look of absolute non-belief in the text's faces. You're making faces, but does it make sense? I don't understand. You mentioned something about it being your fault. Somebody hated me enough that they would do this, so it is my fault. Okay, well, I want to talk about what happened after the shooting. You really scooted to the hospital? I don't know. You don't remember? I've never been on that road, and it was dark. I was looking at the back seat most of the way, so I can't tell you that I was driving fast. I was driving slow enough that I didn't go off the road. What Diane didn't know is that a witness had come forward and told the police that he had been on Old Mohawk Road and saw a car driving. And the time that he was driving there was a time just after Diane told the cops that her children had been shot. And what he told them was that this little red car with Arizona plates had been driving at roughly five miles an hour. And he couldn't see inside the car because it was really dark. Mm-hmm. So he couldn't see anybody. But this little car was just moseying along, not waving, like he not waving anybody down, not sticking their head out the window, not screaming for help or flashing their lights to get attention. They were just cruising at a snail's pace. Hmm. But the witness couldn't just pass them because this road was dark and windy. So he waited till there was a straight 
And even after he passed, this car was in the opposite of a hurry to get where they were going. Hmm. Hmm. Was this the... Um... So this car is driving behind the the red Pulsar, correct? Correct. He's coming okay. up on this road and he comes because the car's going literally five miles an hour. So he catches up to the car quick, mm -hmm. but he can't just overtake it because it's a dark, windy road. So he yeah. waits till there's a straight and he can see. But this car never does any kind of veering note. It was just mm -hmm. steadily cruising at five miles an hour. So, yeah, that's I just wanted to make sure because I think I remember... Diane was saying that she saw like a yellow car that she described as icky, like on yeah. that road as well. Mm -hmm. So it's not that one then. I don't know if his car was yellow. Maybe she did see him and she just said, Oh, I can use that car as uh just know. kind of like a alibi sort of thing. Yeah. So I don't know. I never saw what kind of car he was driving, but mm. um, it could be, you could be right about that. No. I was so, just curious. Hmm? Yeah. So after a few months of being in the hospital and being in foster care, uh, the kids were finally able to be with their father, Steve Downs. Like he was given permission to see his children and he had taken them out for a drive and like went to the park. And even though he knew Diane had been court ordered to not be allowed near her children to be with her children, uh -huh. he saw no harm in letting her see them for at least a few minutes. Mm. So Steve arranged to meet her at the park and when she saw Christy, she ran over and like smothered her in hugs and kisses. And Steve, when he saw this re uh, reunion, he had been brought to tears. He's super emotional about it. I mean, this is yeah. his family, regardless of what happened. Yeah. Um, and because of this uh, emotion, Diane was able to easily trick Steve into letting her take Christy for a drive. And the second, oh, no. the second that she left with uh, his daughter, Steve was like, oh, fuck me. <laughs> oh, shit. Not only because that was just not a good idea uh, in general, but he straight up violated the court order. Mm. So Steve ended up waiting at the motel for hours, just waiting for Diane to return with Christy. He waited so long that it was now dark out, and he was actually supposed to be back with the children at the foster care by this point. Yeah. And she had not returned. So he was starting to get scared that yeah. actually he actually thought that he would never see either of them again. When she finally returned, he couldn't help but notice that both children who had been calm and happy all day, they now seemed tense and fearful around their mother. Steve wasn't the only one who noticed this, though. Uh, when they returned to their psych uh, psychiatrist doctor, uh, he noticed that it seemed as though they had regressed to almost back to when the bad thing first happened. Oh, no. So after this encounter, Diane was different, too, and she decided she couldn't live without her babies. So she came up with a plan to get that love back. She hit up an old lover and one thing led to another and wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. She was pregnant again. Oh, wow. But she didn't stop there. No, no, no. She also decided that if she couldn't have her children, no one could. And that means her ex-husband, Steve, was not getting them either. So she casually decided to let child services know about him, uh, letting her see them, but did it in like a, a shitty way. She said, mm. well, she wrote a letter to Robert because she had long ago figured out that Robert was only talking to her again to try and get a confession because, like I said, he felt guilty. Yeah. So he was he's like, if she's going to tell anybody, she's going to tell me what happened. Mm hmm. So he was calling her and writing letters to her. So she wrote a letter to him, just casually mentioning that uh, Steve had let her take Diane, uh, Christy on a ride 
you know, and then that letter ended up at the detective's office. Yeah. And the shitty thing is uh, her plan worked and Steve was revoked his privileges. So even now, Steve cannot see his own children, yeah. no matter what. Wow. And actually, eventually, he wouldn't even get custody, even after everything was settled. God, that's so shitty. And this is the only time that I'll insert myself into this case, because <laughs> as a father, fuck all of that. Yeah. I mean, I, I did read, I looked up in this because I was upset by this. Uh, I did read that Steve just wasn't in a good place. I'm kind of understandable, everything that's happened. Like, just he wasn't in a good place financially. And also... He wasn't equipped to handle his children's new disability. Like these kids, uh, Danny's in a wheelchair for the rest of his life. Uh, mm. Christy had a stroke and was having trouble with everything. You know what I mean? Yeah. So ultimately, yes, they were probably put where they needed to be in this foster home and uh, not with their parents. But I can't imagine not having my children, dude. Like, yeah, no matter what, my my two kids need to be with me. Yeah. Especially after it's everyone thinks their own mother shot them. So, yeah, I mean, that is a huge like trauma dealing experience. I mean, you know, this whole roundabout situation where she sent the letter to her ex lover and then got her ex husband's like privileges revoked. Yeah. That is just like a whole other level of shitty. Um, but yeah, man, that is, that is just another, uh, I don't know, man, that that's just, she plays mind. She plays these mind games to the max and it's, Mm-hmm. It fucks everybody. So, mm-hmm. so finally, in late January, Diane had finally tested before a grand jury, testified before a grand jury, and after which a secret indictment had been issued. On February 28, 1984, Diane Downs was headed to her job at the post office when she was surrounded and then arrested for the murder of Cheryl Downs, among many other charges. Bail was set at $75,000, and her trial was set for May 8th. Obviously, no one paid that. No one's going to pay whatever it yeah. costs to bail her out. So mm-hmm. she stayed in, in, the, in the jail while she waited for court. When Diane Downs walked into the courtroom, she was super pregnant. Hey, I got it right. Mm-hmm. And, looking, and looking like the stereotypical good mom, almost mm-hmm. as if she had planned this out. <sighs> it's just disgusting. <laughs> yeah, just pandering to the audience and just, uh, yeah. oh, she, she, she can't be... You know no, that she's guilty. got that pregnancy glow, you know, yeah. she, as when you're pregnant, you just look like a good mom. You know yeah. what I mean? The, the glow with the red glow in her eyes. <laughs> <laughs> and the horns coming out yeah, the top of her a, head. It's, a, it's yeah. a nice glow. What can I say? Yeah. She looks great. So the prosecution's plan was to outline the motive, which is basically that she wanted a man who didn't want children. So she got rid of the children so she could have the man. And she used the Ruger pistol that she had stolen from Steve Downs to accomplish this. Mm -hmm. While she was sitting there listening to proceedings, she had an awful smirk and even laughed a little bit. And when it was the defense's turn to talk, one of the first things the defense attorney said, he told the jury was to not misinterpret her facial expressions as Diane cannot control her emotions the same way the everyday person can. And now I'm going to explain further back into Diane's life about uh why she is the way she is yeah and not this is not excusing her behavior this is not it's just one of those things where you know if you've heard my episodes you know that i like to go back and understand right the causes and effects of things yeah to take into consideration of why this person is the way they are why are you the way that you are (laughs) so here we go as as a young girl diane had been sexually molested at the age of 12 and she had been sexually molested by her own father 
And because of this, the only person she hated more than herself was her father. Actually, the opposite. The only person she hated more than her father was herself. I wrote that wrong. But this dynamic created a warped sense of intimacy. And she kind of power, lust, and love became kind of intertwined in her head. So it was all the same thing. So she could not distinguish between control or like love. You know what I mean? Mm. To her, there was the same thing. Right. At 13 years old, she cut her wrist. Um, but this was genuinely a cry for help. And yep. she, because of what was happening to her with her dad. And she didn't she didn't want to hurt herself, but she genuinely wanted attention. So she was asking for it in a roundabout way, but she was still doing it. Of course, yeah. And she felt that her dad's molestation had forced her to grow up too quickly and left her feeling unnoticed because she wasn't even allowed to cry at home. It just wasn't something they allowed their daughter to do. She was the oldest of, I think, five children. Okay. And which was why uh, when she felt cornered or attacked or emotional in any way, uh, a negative emotion maybe that would cause somebody to cry. Yeah. Instead, she resorted to laughing instead of crying because she was not allowed to cry. Yeah. So laughing was her way of coping. Mm-hmm. So in a way, when you see her smirking or laughing, she's actually very uncomfortable. Of course. So this led to Diane's constant talking and oversharing because all the lines I've given you, Brian, have you noticed that they're all bam, 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 bam? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like constantly talking just doesn't stop. She needs to explain herself. Yeah. And this is because she desperately needs to be seen and heard. And if she just keeps talking, people have to listen, right? Right. So when she met Steve, she was quick to get married so she could move out of her parents' house, but soon found that Steve made her feel just like her dad did. And that's why it took such a short time to realize this is just a dude with a dick who wants to fuck and that's it. Right. So it's not love. It was just sexual, sexually motivated. Yeah. And that's why it was, yeah, it was such a short, like shit. Nothing is different. It's all the same shit. And that's why she wanted to grow her own love. So the prosecutor side also knew all of this information and they actually made the argument that this was just a case of child abuse, perpetuating child abuse and just continuing the cycle. Mm-hmm. That's what I was going to say, too, is that it, whenever we hear sort of situations like this is like there's usually an underlying cause when it comes to like uh, parenting issues or something in the childhood that seems to be stemming from everything. Yeah. Um, and it just yeah, this is just another one of those cases where. Um, the unfortunate cause of her sexual abuse at a very young age, arguably, mm-hmm. probably the most, um, how do you say, uh, what's the word I'm looking for right now? I know, uh, I know what word you're thinking, imp- but I don't like remember. She's giving a, like a, an impression, a very strong impression at that age. Um, cause her she's brain very impressionable. Is, yeah. She's her brain still forming and that's arguably the most traumatic point in her life. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that definitely makes sense. It's, it's unfortunate, but I, yeah, I get it. So once all other witnesses had their chance to say their part, almost exactly a year after she had been almost fatally shot, Christy Downs walked into the courtroom to testify against her mother about what happened that night. Christy says that as they were driving, it was just her and her siblings and her mom. And then the car stopped just out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. Car pulled over, but she didn't see anybody else around and definitely didn't see anybody standing in the middle of the road. All of a sudden, she sees her mom step out of the car and go around to the trunk and open it. When she came back to the front, she leaned over and shot Cheryl. Then after that, she leaned over to the back seat and shot Danny. Then she saw her look over to her 
and then she saw her mom shoot her. Now, Christy didn't know this, but uh, forensics had determined that after Cheryl um, had been shot, she instinctively grabbed at the door handle and opened the door and fell out of the car. And Diane got out of the car and walked around to the passenger side and shot Cheryl again while she was lying on the floor by literally placing the barrel of the gun against her child. And even though the first shot would have been fatal all on all on its own, the second shot was equally as fatal. And that's how the blood spatter got on the outside of the passenger door. Once all her children had been shot, she walked back to the driver's side. And as she sat there, she placed a neatly folded towel on her leg, then gently placed her arm on top of the towel, then shot herself, and then wrapped her own wound with that same towel. And to make this so much worse, if you remember earlier that I said Diane loved a certain song by the name of Hungry Like the Wolf by Duran Duran, well, that song was playing loudly as Diane Downs slowly and systematically shot each one of her children at point-blank range. Oh, my God. Yet another point is that the cassette player does not work unless the keys are in the ignition, which means Diane's story about tricking the attacker into thinking she threw the keys was entirely bullshit. Uh And to me personally, that solidifies that this had in fact been all about Robert Knickerbocker because she felt that was their song, right? Uh And to me, it seemed like she was playing it loudly to give her courage to go through with this or at the very least help remind her of what she could gain after she sacrificed her children. If this didn't piss you off enough, Brian, Uh the prosecution played hungry like the wolf in the courtroom and everybody could not help but notice Diane jauntily tapping her toes all the while sporting a huge smile. And when the chorus came around, she happily sings along. I smell like a sound. I'm lost in the crowd and I'm hungry like the wolf. Why are people the way they are, man? So have fun listening to that song again. I hope you enjoy it next time you listen to it. You are a jerk. (laughs) That is, when I think about that, I am shakingly angry. She's playing the song, and I know she's playing the song because I'm doing this for Robert. I'm doing this for Robert. Mm -hmm. And this song is playing this happy fucking tune. It's such a great song. It's playing in the background while she is murdering her child. Ah! Yeah. That's, oh man, that sucks. That's... Mm-hmm. So yeah. Well, well thanks, man. Well, th- you're well, welcome, you're everybody. Me, you're a jerk. Yes, you're a jerk. you're welcome, everybody. <laughs> so as Christy's testimony came to a close, it was revealed that Christy had yet again written the name of her attacker on a piece of paper and then sealed it. However, this time, instead of burning it in the fireplace, she handed the sealed envelope to the therapist. As she did this, She did this several times with the understanding that no one was to open them without her permission. Now, here in the courtroom, Fred Hughie held the envelope in his hands, and with the express permission from Christie to open the envelopes, Fred Hughie opened them one by one. The first one read, Who shot Cheryl? And the answer written down was, Mom. The next one read, Who shot Christie? And the answer written down was, my mom. One of the only things that I thought was interesting about when Diane herself took the stand was that in the summer of 1982, Diane had written an essay about the dangers of child abuse. Wow. A bit the of pros- irony there. <laughs> Yo, just, just wait. Uh-huh. 
So the prosecution had showed Diane a copy of her essay, and because she was just so proud of her work, she offers to read it aloud for them. If parents and grandparents abuse their helpless children, the vicious circle will continue endlessly, twisting in upon itself and harming children yet unborn. Remember the cycle generation unto generation. Then she turns to look at the prosecutor and somewhat smugly asks, Do you understand it, Mr. Hughie? If you can stop the cycle, I stopped. Fred Hughie, without skipping a beat, asked Diane, Is that how you stop the abuse? By eliminating an entire generation? But Diane is a little confused at what he means, and she replies, No, Mr. Hughie, I did not. I have never sexually abused my children. If you stop the cycle, you stop the abuse. Mr. Hughie, you irritate me. You're not listening. You're not listening. But of course, Fred Hughie was listening. Everybody in the courtroom was listening. Mm. She couldn't she couldn't determine or distinguish sexual abuse from abuse in general. Like she's like, no, I didn't I didn't shoot my children. I never sexually abused my children. I'm not an abuser. So she's just equating the both because she couldn't tell the difference between the two right we were talking about the power the lust and the Mm -hmm. she could not separate them yep so also just a quick note after the first day of her testimony she was informed that the child she was currently pregante with had already been determined to be in place of the care of the state so she was carrying this child that was not hers already Mm -hmm. so the state was already like yeah you're pregnant but that ain't your kid so that's right yeah because she showed up in the courtroom yeah, trying to she's, play to the oh, at, jury. at this point at this point she's full-on big belly pregnant yeah. you know she's really playing it up yep and and another thing of note about that is after she the first day of testimony um so that afternoon she found out that that wasn't her child and from that point on you'll see her if you watch videos of it she's cradling her belly more huh. just kind of holding on to it as the trial goes on interesting so in his closing arguments, Fred Hughie described Diane's relationship with their children as fungible. Now, fungible means, like the dictionary uh, definition means, being of such a nature or kind that one unit may be exchanged or substituted for another unit of equal value. Hmm. Basically, it's okay if she loses a child as long as she's able to replace that child. And the two perfect examples in her own life is when she aborted her third child only to do everything she can to become pregnant again. Or an even more recent example is uh, since she had murdered one of her own children, she got pregnant again to replace her. At the end of the day, as long as the number of children remains the same, it's all good. That's insane. That's really crazy to think about. They they did in the book make a point that like animals do this. Like when a a cow or a a mother kid or mother cat has kittens um when they look down and count their brood as long as there's the same amount of animals there they're fine you know what i mean so animals do this it's like an animal instinct so kind of going off topic here but uh you're aware of uh this really underground series called star wars Uh, i've heard of it (laughs) sounds familiar yeah so not a whole lot of people know about that one but uh Mm -hmm. Um, in the lore, and this is kind of going a little bit nerdy, but there is something called the rule of two within the Sith. So the Sith have this rule where only two Sith Lords can exist at any point in time. Mm. And, um, and it's kind of going to where they're talking about fungible, meaning if you lose one, you replace it with another. And that's kind of 
their their thinking too is like uh you know if one of the sith lords die for instance count dooku he is then replaced with you know anakin skywalker or like you know darth mm. vader so um it kind of kind of goes through the and it's it's kind of ironic too because it's the sith that have this rule it's a it's a Only the Sith deal in absolutes. Exactly right. Sorry, just nerding out a little bit there. It's it's just kind of an interesting little uh, correlation. Yeah, that is interesting. Um, It kind of shows that the dark side tends to think that way. Yeah. So on June 17th, 1984, after 36 hours of deliberation, which actually I didn't write this down, but Uh 36 hours to deliberate whether Diane Downs killed her children is fucking stupid. It should have took an hour at best, Uh in my opinion. Okay. And it even says, I think it, I remember it saying in the book, like when you take longer than like five hours, the outcome becomes dramatically unpredictable. Uh-huh. So 36 hours of deliberation. Um, so Diane Downs was found guilty of all charges. Nice. 10 days later, on June 27th, 1984, Diane Downs gave birth to a baby girl that she named Amy Elizabeth Downs, which that um, my mother sins uh, ABC uh-huh. special is her. That's my mother since she's talking. Amy's, Amy's talking about her mom gotcha. in that special. Okay. So Diane had been allowed to hold Amy for a few hours. I think like three, three to four hours. Uh-huh. But after that, she was taken away and immediately put up for adoption. And, and I think Amy tried to make contact with her in prison, uh-huh. but it didn't go that great. So I imagine so. Yeah. Yeah. So two months later on August 28th, 1984, during her sentencing trial, the state recognized that Diane was not insane, but she did suffer from three types of personality disorders, narcissism, histrionic, and antisocial. Hmm. He goes on to say Diane Downs is a sociopath. She has not the slightest concern for the rights of others, a brilliant mind with no conscience to guide it. Diane Downs was sentenced to life plus 50 years in prison. As he handed down the sentence, the judge said, the court hopes the defendant will never again be free. I have come as close to that as possible with a minimum of 25 years, meaning she was eligible for parole in 2009. Uh, However, she was still in prison as last time I checked. Um, And according to Google this year of 2021 is the earliest she's able to get out, but I have not seen anything so far on the internet that has said anything about if that's going to happen. So I have the last update was 2020 during the, um, she said something about the pandemic. Right. Um, But the story does not end there, Brian. What? No, sir. Uh, Diane had been sent to the Women's Correctional Facility in Salem, Oregon. And on July 11th, 1987, at 9 in the morning, Diane Downs escaped prison. Wow. She did this by climbing the 15-foot-tall fence and used her prison jacket to protect herself from the barbed wire. And no one could find her at all. They what? had no... They had no ideas. No, they didn't know where to look for her. They didn't know where she was. Jesus Christ. And How old they, is she by this point? She's like... Uh, 1987, so... Shit, 20... Almost 30? Oh, okay. For some reason, I thought she was a lot older. Maybe like in her 40s I think 50s. she was like 23 when this all went down. Oh, so, gotcha. So, she, 1987, yeah. something like Between 27 and 30. Gotcha, like gotcha. Anyway, she did this by climbing the 15-foot-tall fence, and she used her jacket to protect herself from the barbed wire, and no one could find her. And they worried they would never find her because, statistically, a prisoner who has escaped longer than 24 hours is less likely to be captured. 
as a search extended out to about half of the United States Jesus because Christ. well because she has such a big lead on them at this yeah. point like mm-hmm. she'd been gone for so long without people noticing if she got in a car she could hours of driving you know is where she would end up yeah um they finally had they went back and searched her quarters and they found a clipboard with a blank piece of paper so they used the old rub a pencil over it trick you know mm-hmm. kind of the indentations re- left yeah mm-hmm. and they found not only a map but an address turns out another inmate had given her a full map of how to get to her own husband's house and when she showed up at homeboy's house they just let her in and she ended up hooking up with the inmate's husband wow and i am genuinely surprised she didn't get knocked up and i wouldn't be surprised if she had and i just didn't find that information right so the news media was once again all about diane downs once again just everything diane downs right especially when 10 days later they captured uh diane downs less than a half a mile away from the prison So they searched half the country mm-hmm. and she was only half a mile away. Yep. And she was just chilling at old dude's house for like, ten, like I said, 10 days. She was just chilling there. Wow. And when they found her, like 50 cops came to get her and she grabbed a BB gun and was kind of going for like suicide by cop. Mm-hmm. But whoever was there with her, because the guy that she went to go hook up with, mm-hmm. he was on vacation with his kids. He wasn't even there. But he knew he was going to get in trouble. So when he came back, he kind of just fessed up yeah. and said, let's get this over with. Yeah, I, I harbored her for 10 days, whatever. Mm-hmm. So whoever was there with her convinced her, like, put the gun down, dude. Just just give up. So yeah. she did. And for all of this, she was giving, she was given an extra five years uh, for her 10 days of freedom. Wow. And that is the story of Diane Downs. But I did, I did want to end this shitty ass story on a positive note. Okay. And I wanted to let you know that Fred Hughie, the lead prosecutor against Diane Downs, ended up adopting both Christy and Danny Downs. Oh. And they have lived their lives wonderfully with their new family. And they and they pretty much tend to stay out of the limelight. Wow, but, that is really, really nice. So, like, I remember when he first met her, they just had a connection. Mm-hmm. That connection lasted their whole life. So, oh. just a, I wanted to end it on a positive note because fuck Diane Downs and everything about her. So, mm-hmm. I hope that, her kids are doing all right. Uh, you know. Yeah. I just, it's just insane. It's just, oh. Yeah, that is a crazy story, man. Like we always hear about, like this this case kind of reminded me of two different things. The first was the, uh, what was the last, the Lululemon uh, yeah. case, um, yeah. where it just seemed like she just continuously started talking and just adding more detail that wasn't, like you, you mentioned this kind of quite a bit was like, don't talk to the, like you say, don't talk to the police and oh, yeah. a bunch of I information. I forgot I say that. Yeah. yeah. Don't talk to police. <laughs> yeah. That's, and that's the same thing here too. It's like, I have information, but I'm not going to tell you. Oh, I don't know why I completely slipped my mind. I forgot. Yeah. If you're a bad guy, if you're a piece of shit. Don't talk to the police. That's simple. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's just another example of it here too. Mm-hmm. The second thing, uh, Casey Anthony. This reminds me of a fucking yeah. Casey Anthony case. So this this is the ending Casey Anthony should have had though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. Dang man. Well, yeah. what a shitty person. I think <laughs> yeah. uh, Richard. Yeah, Richard's kid wants to ask you a question. So hold on, let me. Think. Okay, Billy, little Billy, come here, Billy. Yeah. All right. Talk right into right into the microphone. All right. He's gonna ask you a question. All right. All right. Have you ever had a dreams? That 
that you um you had you 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 could you do you you want you you could do so you you do you could you you want you want him to do you so much you could do anything. All right, thanks, Billy. <laughs> All right, well, Octavio, what's your answer? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and with that, uh, thank you guys for listening. That was uh, what a crazy, wild story. Octavio, yeah. you got anything? Uh, same as always. Hit us up on the socials. Uh, tell us how much I ruined that song for you. Yeah. You know what I mean? It tell- is forever ruined, man. Bloodthirstypod at gmail.com. Come at me with your complaints about ruining a great song. <laughs> oh, they're going to come at you, all right. Come at me all you want. Come <laughs> the cum zone. <laughs> <laughs> Mm. Have, you, have you ever have you uh, that you that you want that oh you... will <laughs> have fun in vegas buddy have fun will <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>